Hi, my name is Anna Marie Diaz, and I'm the Artistic Director of Classical Revolution. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Wise, and I'm just a musician. I'm Eric Tabor, and I'm from Woven Wind. And, and this, this room, room sounds, sounds great. great. Well, yeah, you're right. It's not a phase. It's lifestyle. <laughs> Let's clarify. A lot of beef with a little bit of broccoli. <laughs> no, the trick is once you put the cheese in, then you top it with more cheese, like real cheddar cheese. Hello, podcast lovers. Thank you for hitting play on This Room Sounds Great. I'm Reese Williams. We are recording live from In Your Ear Studios. And uh, we know you have a lot of options when you are out there, you know, kayaking and metal detecting and getting out in nature. And we appreciate that you chose to share that with little old us. So thank you. This episode, we've got a cornucopia of, of folks. We are going to be helping the Poe Museum celebrate their 100th anniversary on April 26th. And so we are going to have more than one band that night. We're going to have a few entertainers. We're going to have Classical Revolution RVA featuring Wolven Wind. We're going to have Chance Fisher, and we're going to have Elizabeth Wise. So I'm going to let you guys, I'll give you each a, a moment to tell me who you are, which of those things you're with, and, um, and then we'll go back around and chit-chat some more. My name is Anna Marie Diaz, and I am the Artistic Director of Classical Revolution RVA. My name is Eric Tabor, and I am the mind and creative force behind Woven Wind, which is a Nordic folk concept piece. I'm Elizabeth Wise, and I play guitar and side guitar, and I'm going to be playing an original tune called Voodoo Woman Working All Night Long. Uh, Chance couldn't be with us here today. Let me start off by asking you this. What is your relationship to Poe? Do you have any past relationship to Edgar Allan Poe? I have to say no. <laughs> I think, you know, when I first moved to Richmond, when I, I went to college down here, one of like the touristy things my family and I did was go to the Poe Museum. Like that's a fun afternoon that we spent. Um, and then, you know, actually, I don't have much relationship with Poe, but I know in the classical music world, there are some pieces inspired by Poe. Oh, so on. I think by extension, I can say I, I have a relationship with Poe. But yeah, I mean, Edgar Allan Poe, you know, he inspired pieces that we hope to have featured for this event coming up. Um, but he inspired a lot of composers to write pieces from his poetry and things like that. And just I guess I want to say Edgar Allan Poe's overall vibe has a lot of pieces inspired by that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so then we'll move on to Elizabeth. Do you have any relationship with Poe, with Edgar Allan Poe and his works? I grew up with Poe's works. I, um, you know, reading them in schools and um, uh, being in Richmond, of course, the history of Poe around here and the Poe Museum, pretty, um, pretty cool to have that around. Do you have a favorite piece? Oh, I don't know about that. There are <laughs> <laughs> um, too many good ones. Eric, what is your relationship to Poe? Well, I think my introduction to Poe was probably in uh, English class, probably, I don't know, ninth, 10th grade, something like that. And I, I definitely got into the uh, sort of uh, structure of his poetry and um, anyone who is getting more in that, you know, phase, junior high, high school, getting into the darker side of things, I think, I don't want to say worshipped Poe, but he was definitely 
something darker, something uh, with that, you know, sort of gothic aesthetic, you know, very... It's just adolescence, Eric. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right. It's not a phase. It's lifestyle. <laughs> but I think um, that definitely introduced me um, to some of his poetry. And I like the... Um, he has a lot of, like, alliteration and internal rhyme scheme, things like that, which are very inspiring. Um, and so I can't say that he's influenced any of my work per se. But I think definitely setting tone and setting mood and you know, the the raven and, and things like that, those are all very um, attributed to him. And so it's an extremely recognizable name, and you just have to give him credit for that. And how did you start collaborating with Classical Revolution RVA because this sounds like a marriage made in heaven. Um, probably a long, complicated story, but to, to... We've got the time. Break it down. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. Um, so Becca, uh, who is uh, one of the um, fiddle players or violin players, she... Um, I remember meeting her at one of these Shaco sessions where I was doing the lighting and, and cinematography and such. And... Um, I could tell she had that sort of Celtic influence, you know. Um, little did I know she's doing like Scottish uh, like fiddle competitions, and <laughs> she's going to one at the end of the month, and they're like, "Oh, they're paying her a thousand dollars just to go." Um, and so she she definitely has a lot of talent, and I could I've listened to a lot of Celtic music. Uh, I've met a lot of um, Celtic folk musicians, and so you can kind of tell one when you see one. Mm -hmm. And so I got introduced to her and um, we just started talking after a show and, you know, I was complimenting her on her playing and, and such. And I think we just started talking about um, historical reenactment and folk music in general. And then that's, you know, the segue for me to come in and say, oh, by the way, <laughs> I have this project that I've been working on for years and years. And um, I'm using, you know, sampled strings for the most part, you know, sound libraries, good quality, albeit, but... Um, there's nothing truly like live strings for improvisation and everything. So I could tell that she just had the right vibe for it. And it, you know, we brought her to some jam sessions. She came and saw a show we did on Halloween um, and really enjoyed the sort of uh, soundtrack, um, ambient nature of it and um, the attention to detail because we wear um, like historically authentic clothing when we perform. Yeah, so, tell us all about the project. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Pretend we're Becca. Tell us all about it. Oh, well, <laughs> no. Um, I like I said, we're adding a whole new genre, so we need to know about this. Well, just to give you the, the basic uh, sort of rundown. So I've been doing uh, historical reenactment for, you know, almost a decade now and uh, got into it through historical European martial arts, which is essentially like stunt uh, choreography and um, the renaissance of uh, medieval uh, fighting styles. So we're, we're fighting with blunt steel. And that took me, uh, because I used to be, you know, an art director and actor in Los Angeles. And um, I didn't really start to get into, you know, a career in music until I, I found that I had a niche for it. Um, and so I, at a certain point, got into um, doing, uh, historical films. And, uh, I just, I couldn't get enough of that. So I, I started, you know, searching and this was, you know, back in like 2011 or something where there wasn't, um, you know, the, the television, you know, series like Vikings and things like that hadn't really come into the public eye yet. So there was a lot less interest, I, I guess you could say. And so I 
you know, was scouring the internet, reading every book I could, and I got into the culture of it more and identified, you know, with my cultural heritage and things like that. So eventually it traveled He's over to Europe. for listeners. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Just so you know, blonde. Um, no, I, I got into that. I started traveling. Um, and then whenever I went to Europe and just kind of dropped everything, you know, lease was up on the house, um, the car, car was messing up, you know. <laughs> all signs point to run. Run. Mm-hmm. So I just put all my stuff in storage and backpack for three months over in Europe. And I just got... I just fell in love with it. And so I, I started venturing out to some of these museums and I met wonderful, wonderful people. And I started to um, get in with the, I guess the, there's different, um, I don't want to say classes, like, uh, but you know, you have people that are merchants, they're vendors, you have people that are, you know, doing the fighting. And that was me for the most part for, for a long time. But then I fell in with the, um, the people in the tavern that are just, you know, playing these, these wonderful handmade instruments sometimes, these, mm-hmm. these folk instruments. And um, it really piqued my curiosity. So fell in um, with this six, eight giant Danish skull named uh, Martin. Um, and he, we just would tour around and um, play for people at the campfires, doing covers. And uh, he taught me a lot of, um, of these old folk songs, these old like old Norse, uh, Danish, Norwegian, Swedish folk songs. And um, I fell in love with the, the structure of them, the skaldic verse, which is, you can study your whole life and not ever really truly understand, you know, the, the verse structure of this music. So um, started turning around and um, demoing some of these ideas I had for songs. First, you know, covering folk songs and then starting to write my, new, my own material. Um, and so that brought me here whenever I moved to Richmond uh, about five years ago. Is that incredibly daunting trying to write in a style that is so revered? I mean, it's not rock, pop, or country. You know, we had the band Serenata on recently. They're a Latin band. Um, they they do mostly covers. They do have original music, but they do mostly covers, and they cover uh, Latin classics. And she said she doesn't get nervous before shows until they do, like, a Puerto Rican festival or some sort of a festival where people speak the language and they know the music so well it's part of the fabric of their upbringing, and so she gets really nervous. <laughs> Is that really daunting, entering a genre that has such specific um, notions for people. Well, I mean, you're always going to be fighting against um, uh, people in the reenactment community that are very purist. um, And they never would have worn that, or we have no historical archaeological evidence that they even had that pattern or that color, and they really take it seriously, which I enjoy to an extent. (laughs) But uh, when it comes to the music, um, obviously, um, Norwegian, Danish, Swedish, those are not my native languages. Like I never, you you can't take a class in high school, you know, uh, for that. But I will say, uh, there are a lot of dialects in these in these countries. And so accents are very prevalent. And um, sometimes people from the south of the country, like the farmer types, they can't understand the people up north. So, right. and then most people, even if they are Norwegian, they don't, they are not fluent in Old Norse. They, they have no idea what you're saying, to be honest. You can see the root words, but it's very akin to English, actually, as you know, the um, Danish and Norwegian influence in the uh, modern English language. It's, it's almost 50-50 with like the Anglo-Saxon side of things. So we see a lot of the same sounds. Uh, we developed our you know, soft palate and things like that to um, sort of mimic some of these uh, ancient sounds. So um, it's it's daunting to to play for an audience that has high expectations. But I will say there's freedom in that because with folk music, it's not so much about the presentation of it, 
um, when it comes to um, music theory or when it comes to the articulation of individual words that are, you know, in uh, extinct languages. It's more about the passion and the soul behind it. And people, I think, really enjoy that. Um, and once you have a few, you know, live shows, um, people, they just... You can you can see the that it has an effect on them. Like there's something tribal that awakens in people when they're hearing these old songs and playing old instruments, and it really does bring them into this. Um, I mean, I don't want to say that people have forgotten what real music is, but the overproduced stuff with all digital sounds that are are released extremely prevalently today. Um, that is the perfect segue because you're talking about music that is sort of forgotten or just maybe dormant and classical revolution RVA. That's what you do is you're bringing what is perceived as lost or dormant music to the modern culture. So remind us again, I know we talked about it last time you were on, but why do you think that music constantly, um, is just thought of as sort of fuddy duddy. Mm -hmm. And then what is classical revolution RVA doing to make it contemporary? Yeah. So, I mean, classical music just has such a long history and I would say with just so many different levels. And I think one of the reasons why classical music is perceived as as fuddy-duddy is that there's this connotation of it being elitist and, you know, a little snooty. Um, and, you know, I think that's, it wasn't always like that. If we think back to like, the 1700s you know but but it became like that and this is sort of where where the genre is right now you know if you if you want to go see a symphony orchestra which I highly recommend because it's wonderful but it's expensive and you have to get dressed up and like there's all these things that you need to do in order to go listen to music which is a little I don't know it's not necessarily welcoming um, but for Classical Revolution, we're really just trying to break down those barriers, get it out of the concert hall, get it into areas where people really love to be at, like restaurants and breweries and bars, you know, grab a beer, grab a drink and listen to some Mozart or Bach or like <laughs> more contemporary composers. You know, we're just trying to like break down all of those stigmas surrounding this genre and trying to cultivate new audiences around it. Because for a long time, classical music had this one specific audience that it mainly catered to. Mm -hmm. And now you're bringing it to Shaco Sessions Live. Yeah, for, we are. I think the third time. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and we're adding the new genre. Elizabeth, you've been on Shaco Sessions before, but it's been a while. And of course, we had, you know, the, the pandemic halted everything in between. So what does 2022 look like for you? Well, gigs are coming back, and I'm really excited about that. That is, uh, that was a full-on identity crisis when those um, went bye-bye. Um, we enjoyed making a platform for everybody, but it was not the same having people just play from my set of hands clapping. We know, we know <laughs> we were proud. We were proud to give that platform in the beginning, but I, we knew it, we know it was no replacement. Oh, I mean, this has been a saving grace for so many music lovers and musicians in the area. Um, there, there's only one day a week that it can happen. You know, there are so many musicians, which, uh, Shaco Sessions Live has, uncovered um in this one area uh, which is phenomenal but yeah everybody's uh itching <laughs> definitely itching for those those gigs and um getting back out there and sharing things 
Um, not that your two hands aren't amazing. <laughs> I try to make them sound like it's more. And so Eric was telling us about his music and the instruments and the feeling and the language. Um, tell us about your style of music and how you got started and what it means to you and your connection to it. Yeah, I uh, all my stuff is blues influenced, which was very um, unplanned. As a young songwriter, um, I just happened to, um, that's, that's what I was drawn to and it's what came out in my own way. Um, so it draws from a multitude of, um, blues influenced styles, but then also classical. I have a strong classical background from my family. Um, my mom was a classically trained singer, uh, was classically trained on piano starting young and um, even did some classical guitar and voice in college. So when I write, it's just my, that's my little world where all of my influences meld together and come out however they do. I really don't have that much control over it. That divine intervention. Yeah. (laughs) Eric, so what do you think of this collaboration? So on the night of, uh, as I mentioned before, we're going to have your collaboration with uh, Classical Revolution RVA. We have Elizabeth Wailing on guitar. We have Chance, who is going to rap his favorite Poe piece or part of his favorite Poe piece. Um, What does an evening like that mean to you? We're going to have Poe art. We're going to have spoken word. Um, I mean, we're turning Shaco Sessions on on its head. You know, we're partnering with this institution this, you know, this, that's been around for a century in different iterations, you know, what is that night going to mean to you? And how, and when was the last time you performed like this? Hmm. Um, so the last time we performed actually, uh, a week and a half ago, Okay. we did a big festival, um, with Chris and Becca and it was wonderful, uh, out in the middle of nowhere in, uh, A-Lit. Um, but, um, playing for like little kids, you know, like there was like this four year old who was just like intent, just like, just, just transfixed, you know? Um, but like the kids, you know, they really enjoy seeing something different. And I suppose if you're only exposed to, like we were talking about before, um, this sort of like, um, EDM slash pop slash hip hop stuff, uh, from a young age, which is really what's bombarding you if you're on YouTube, which the kids are nonstop, uh, TikTok, et cetera, et cetera. Seeing real musicians playing real music, I think it just kind of blows their mind a little bit, especially if it hasn't been seen before. But um, in terms of this uh, evening that we're planning, I think we're bringing so many different styles, like true artistry. Um, I'm not a big, you know, hip hop fan myself. Like I try to keep my influences, you know, to, to stuff that's actually being played on instruments, <laughs> but, um, I can respect a extremely talented, um, guy. Uh, I, and I really get along with him actually. Um, we had some, some nice long conversations. Um, but it's going to be nice to see him do some like spoken word stuff that's inspired by what is clearly something he's passionate about, uh, with Edgar Allan Poe. And I see a lot of people, um, in that genre of music specifically very influenced by poetry. Um, and for him to draw influences like that, that's, that's really wonderful. So combining that with classical music, um, spoken word pieces from students, uh, obviously Elizabeth Wise is, you know, um, very special, uh, beer bottle slide technique, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be all over the place, but I think what a cool, um, amalgamation 
of different styles and influences um, to to be able to you know play with this many different people and honestly this should be a recurring event in my opinion like I, I haven't seen something like this in a while especially um, post pandemic um, I don't think people are getting together and doing these types of themed um, events I mean that's really that's all I can say is it's just wonderful to be able to to play live in front of people in a you know a studio environment um, with people of different um, influences it's it's going to be wonderful I think people are really going to be uh, impressed and it's going to be very popular <laughs> well speaking of collaboration I know you've got some big things on the horizon um, you know there's a new record company coming to town that you're going to be a part of yeah. and there are opportunities to collaborate with other artists so speak to that so um, on the heels of what Eric was saying the there's this amazing opportunity um, that a lot of people have realized um, kind of similar to the Shaka Sessions lives there's so many artists and in this area and getting to um, pull those people together in a working environment and in um in a nurturing environment which is I don't know uh, for some reason sounds unheard of <laughs> which I don't really understand why but yeah this is um, a really exciting venture for many of us and the other artists that you that you may be collaborating with? Yeah, Rodney Stith, the soul singer, and uh, and Chance Fisher. I, I'm stoked. I'm totally stoked. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to be such a um, a mind blowing experience for me personally. I can say I can't speak for him, but for, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but for be. me, <laughs> it will be. And I know that the record label, you know, the impetus for it was that there are just so many musicians out there that are begging, borrowing, and stealing to make it happen, and they get all the way through the studio process, and then that's where they get stuck. I mean, no booking agent, no record label, uh, it, and they just, they're doing it themselves. I mean, I interview people every single week who are their own booking agent and their own social media manager, and I think um, this new venture, which isn't going to be genre-specific, genre-limited, it's going to be more of a resource, more of a hub uh, to say, oh, this is what you need. We will find the people to do it so that you can focus on taking a break and crafting some new songs and actually enjoying yourselves at those gigs instead of worrying about how much you're going to make and the drive home and what the impact means and it's just too much. What about in the classical music community? I mean, um, do most people still have to have day jobs? Um, is that a world where it's easier to maybe secure a salaried position as we talk about symphonies and, and ensembles? You know, maybe it's more of the, the small band independent artist versus a symphony. What is that world like? So that's a great question. And I think a lot of classical musicians are, are also asking, asking that question. Um, I can really only speak for my own personal experience and like the, my, my classical music friends that, that I know very well. Um, it's as far as like an orchestra job or a symphony job, those are really difficult to get, you know, um, I'm a flute player. And so if you think about a symphony orchestra it has three flute players in it. And if you think about all of the flute players, at least in America and like one job opens up, you know, we're all going for the same job. And so it's, it's really, really difficult, at least for a flute player, um, to, to get an orchestra job. But I think you know, I think a lot of classical musicians my age are are starting to change things a little bit. 
Um, I think for a long time, there was sort of these two ideas of what you could do as a classical musician. You could play in an orchestra if you want a job, or you could go teach maybe on the college level. Um, and now I think a lot of classical musicians are trying to do a combination of things, you know, maybe maybe perform in an orchestra or maybe start their own ensemble, you know, start their own chamber ensemble, maybe start a concert series. Maybe they're going to start a nonprofit similar to Classical Revolution, something like that, which, you know, the great thing about Classical Rev is we're giving performing opportunities to classical musicians in this area. Um, and maybe they'll teach a little bit on the side too. You know, for myself, like I have a private stu flute mm. studio. I teach privately. A flute studio. Um, a flute studio. Yes. Um, and and Sounds I also. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're in down to the flute studio. <laughs> yep. And I also, you know, I also perform, and I also work with classical revolution. So I think for a lot of classical musicians these days, they're trying. They're not waiting for that job anymore. They're not waiting for that opportunity. They're going out and trying to create their own career. Elizabeth, what is going to define success? for you you know as as we talk about hey gigs are coming back up um and you didn't mention but you did just finish an album which is amazing congratulations it is beautiful it's flawless from beginning to end um what what are you going to be able to say you know when you go to bed at night and you're like yeah damn it i did it like what's that going to look like honestly being able to afford to just have a home and be able to go to the grocery store and not have to make sure that I have enough money and have health insurance. Oh, and oh big dreams. Yeah, I lady. know. I know. Apparently it's too much to ask for. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so selfish, I know. but yeah, that's, um, you know, getting to do rewarding work. Um, but, uh, but also something exciting coming up with the label is the opportunities of getting, giving back to the community uh, really being part of the community and um, including the education. What do you, what do what do you want to accomplish with Wolvenwind, Eric? Hmm, that's a very. You, I know you said you've been question. kind of toying around with it for a decade. Yeah, you've been tinkering with things. So yeah, like, where do you auditioning want this to go? melodies and such. Um, honestly, I've so I used to play with a couple different metal bands, and I've I've done like the the touring. I've done the you know playing the big events like Vakken and things like that. I think at this point. What I really care about is creating something new, um, really experiencing uh, collaboration and, and like in a nurturing environment, like she was talking about, um, trying to remove the ego from music, uh, which is very difficult with people who, you know, feel like, well, I've earned this or I'm entitled for this or this is how many followers I have or, or whatever. Um, true bliss, you know, sitting in a room together with other musicians that, you know, are on the same sort of wavelength as you and literally and figuratively mm. um, and and just creating something new. And honestly, I, I can't stress enough that trying to make something new out of something old is really, you know, the one of the themes behind the music. It's it's bringing this thousand year old, you know, plus, you know, ancient wisdom back into the world, bringing those instruments to activate people who may have forgotten where they're from or, you know, able to draw inspiration from that um, and give something new to the younger generation, which is deprived of, of that. Um, and I've seen a lot of um, 
future, future, future technology, you know, just like banging into people's heads. It's like, yeah, but remember, we do have this very rich cultural uh, cultural past, you know, depending on you know, wherever you're from. You know, you've got this very rich cultural past, and there is wisdom to be gained from that. So um, that influences a lot of my lyrics and, and um, sort of syntax behind my my music. And to be able to play for for you know, these, you know, little kids. And, um, we do a lot of stuff with, you know, um, fundraisers and things like that. We play like a, uh, resistance fundraiser. Um, actually Holy River was involved in the last one we did and like tried to give money to, uh, not fight against line three, but to give money to the people who are protesting it, um, just to help with odds and ends and tents and food and things like that. So we're heavily involved, uh, involved in that community. And so I think my, my true goal is to um, not only to around and play and introduce this music to new uh, groups of people, uh, regardless of location in the world or, or otherwise, but also do focus more on getting into, you know, composition for uh, soundtracks for movies, television, video games, things like that. Um, try to create a world, a tone, you know, a, a place for people to escape you know, something to meditate to, something to work out to, something to relax to. Um, yeah, try to encompass all of those different things. It's it's difficult, but we we want to do that as acoustically as possible with no electronic instruments whatsoever, no amplification, um, just wood and metal. <laughs> and skins. <laughs> well, oh yeah, and skins, <laughs> different animal hides, yeah, of course. <laughs> A real renaissance, which again, classical rev is, you know, the renaissance of bringing that music style to the masses. So 2022, are you guys going to schools? What kind of shows do you have? When is the Mozart Festival? Uh, yeah. Well, first off, our Mozart Festival is happening in October this year. It's going to be in Church Hill. So we are really excited to be in that neighborhood. Um, but yeah, I mean, 2022, we're excited to once again, like be back playing events and planning events and like having live performances. Um, so, you know, we are continuing our monthly variety show, Classical Incarnations, and it, that actually just has a new home now at Gallery 5. And so we're really thrilled to be um, at Gallery 5 and, and be in that really wonderful space. Um, we're also excited to be playing in in that neighborhood. You know, Gallery 5 has those open doors and it's just a wonderful vibe. Like when people are walking along the street and they stop and listen. But we're also hoping to do um, more collaborations with organizations here in Richmond. We, we have an event coming up um, that's uh, in partnership with Highland Partners and Safe Harbor, which we're really excited about. Um, and we're hoping to put on just some larger events as well i say that as i'm now thinking about like the planning that goes into it but we're, <laughs> we're hoping to put on some larger events i know last year for our our birthday weekend we played a movement of a symphony so we had an entire symphony orchestra you know playing a movement and it's really wonderful to collaborate like that because we rehearsed for two hours beforehand and just did it you know um and so so we're hoping to have more events like that to get more of these local really wonderful local classical musicians here because there's so many um and i think the thing is is like classical musicians are very much like everything has to be perfect everything <laughs> has to be nice and neat you know but like even if you haven't played that often or aren't playing that often you know just coming out to one of our events and like getting more involved and we're hoping to reach more audiences 
I am so excited about getting to be part of those audiences again, <laughs> going yeah. out to experience the music coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, and also not being like a, a for-profit show, like a selling out like Staples Center or something like that. <laughs> you know, it, doing these like you know nonprofit events and fundraisers and things like that. I think that's beneficial not only to the audience because then they're kind of paying for something that they're confident in and they believe in, but also it's great for the musicians too because they feel like we're not, you know, just going through the motions and just like, you know, strumming on the instrument and, um, you know, making someone else money uh, for commercial reasons and advertising. You're actually like putting money back in the community. And who's to say that you can't have a concert that has you know, like workshops beforehand mm. or like, you know, uh, farm to table food mm-hmm. supporting our local growers, you know, like we can, we can do that. And we have been doing that mm-hmm. for years, even with the, with the pandemic. So I think there's definitely a lot of uh, good collaboration that's going to come out of this yeah. hunger for, for live music, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and talking and tying so many facets together. Mm-hmm. Speaking yeah. of farm to table, Eric, what food can you eat until it just makes you sick, but you don't care? You just keep eating it. That's a weird question to ask, but um, <laughs> <laughs> clearly never listen to the podcast. <laughs> oh God, guilty. Um, beer is food, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> beer is wheat. No, um, man, I was vegetarian for two and a half years, um, and I did my time. But on my last birthday, I went full meat mode again. I just realized my body works better on a high protein diet. And uh, so now I'm just like, I'll just eat a pound of ground beef just like Good God. in one sitting. So like the other day I made um, broccoli beef with extra beef, like an extra pound of like 97% lean ground beef. So it was like beef with like a little bit of broccoli, <laughs> no rice, no nothing. And it tasted, it was wonderful. Right, let's clarify, a lot of beef. A lot of beef. With a little bit of broccoli. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's nothing you get at Panda Express, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I had to put something green in there. (laughs) But only for the color. Yeah, exactly. Just for the color, stimulate the senses. And I picked around the broccoli, too. I'm just kidding. Elizabeth, what is the strangest thing you find attractive about people? Oh, Lord. (laughs) I have others if you don't like that one. Uh, I can ask you the funniest way you've ever hurt yourself. (laughs) Oh, God. Funniest (laughs) way I've ever hurt myself. No, I probably have an answer for that. Oh, I fell I fell down bleachers once Oof. in front of a whole school and I was a painfully shy kid. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. That was probably the funniest. There are a lot of other hurt stories, but that was probably the most embarrassing and therefore the funniest. Did they I was in a skirt too. Mm. Did mm. they give you grief or did they let you slide because it was painful? I don't remember. I think I blocked most of it out. <laughs> wise. I just remember that it happened. Very wise. Just the rolling part. <laughs> and then the afterwards of like, I can't turn around and look at people. <laughs> Anna Marie, what food can you eat until it makes you sick and you don't care? You just keep eating it. It's going to be pasta. Mainly like craft mac and cheese, like the blue box for sure. Um, Animals... Animals or Looney Tunes or not? Probably the animals, yeah. but usually I buy just like the little noodle types. If I'm going to splurge, it's going to be the animals okay. for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's like a full 10 cents more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but like Kraft Mac and Cheese. Yeah. Kraft Mac and Cheese for sure. 
And I've tried like other brands that are a little healthier, but not the same. Yeah, it's really, truly, it's not the same at all. A box, a box at a time, right? I've done two boxes. Oh no! Good girl, yes, Anna Marie, you deserve this. She probably snorts the cheese powder too, man. <laughs> confectionery confessions no the trick is once you put the cheese in then you top it with more cheese like real cheddar cheese oh, oh yeah woman, go on. <laughs> when does your cooking show come out <laughs> yeah, <right>. life hack <laughs> when is dinner tonight yeah. <laughs> elizabeth where can people go for more information to find about find out about where you are what you're doing where you're going uh elizabethwise.com i've got elizabeth wise music on instagram and on facebook as well Nice and simple. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Wolf and Wind. Well, um, you can follow my Instagram, which is Wolf and Wind uh, Official, um, all one word. Uh, we've got Facebook presence, things like that. But honestly, Spotify is probably the easiest way to interact with our music to give you an idea of what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> uh, you can find that on Spotify. All right. And for us to keep up with Classical Rev. And I have to tell you, during the pandemic, I loved the website, the Classical Rev website that put the masks on the, the classical <laughs> composers. I thought that was so stinking cute. I don't know if they're still up there. If we find They're not. I don't okay, think. Okay. We, we ripped them off like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Is, but, yeah. Uh, what is the website and social for everybody? Yeah. You can visit our website at classicalrevolutionrva.com or find us on Instagram at Facebook um, at Classical Rev RVA. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to us for the podcast on all the usual suspects. And of course, be sure to tune in every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. YouTube, Facebook, Twitch for Shaco Sessions Live. That's a wrap.